five, four, three, two, one. I had just become incredibly emotionally numb, and, and I had absolutely no control over it. All of a sudden, it felt like somebody hit me in the stomach with a sledgehammer. Like I don't sleep at night. I'm in pain all the time. I had a concussion. Got in simultaneously because I was a kick returner as well. And I hurt my shoulder and took a shot in the shoulder and the head. So it was both the shoulder and most of the concussion. And I did not play. Matter of fact, I didn't even know my name, Marlon. And a buddy came in a couple hours later, and that's when he found me and rushed me to the hospital because he couldn't, I had no heartbeat. He couldn't find a heartbeat or anything like that. When I was first picked up at the airport and brought to the hospital, and I first saw my dad, I was very frightened that he didn't really know my name because I didn't know if his brain was okay. I would be charging some pretty big waves all the time, and brain scans that I've done, they show that I've had hundreds if not thousands of concussions. I really just had these feelings bottling up, the feelings of depression, the feelings of suicide just became so great that I didn't feel safe. There's such an issue in this country when it comes to mental health. And that's why we're seeing so many of the vets coming back and committing suicide. So the challenge was to figure out how to make life worth living again. The winner of Survivor! You know, for the rest of my life, I'll forever have this master's degree under my belt. This literature has been out there for years. No one's taken advantage of it. The trainer comes out, they put up how many, and you say four, and they go, well, that's close enough. We're talking about a brain here, right? We're talking about a brain, and every single piece of real estate is extremely important. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the 21 Gun Podcast. I'm your host as always, Kevin Sullivan. I know this is a different time, different day, different set. It's a, a more of a laid back set. I actually have notes because I don't have Jeremy to keep me on, on task. I'll be running all the cameras. I'll be doing all that stuff. Uh, if that trailer does not sound like something that I, I would say I've had that conversation with 200 people over the last few years. Um, Fantastic movie, Quiet Explosions. You can check it out on uh, Amazon. And we'll we'll talk to, we're going to have some folks on here in a minute. We'll talk to them, uh, find out all the, the places you can watch that. But uh, fantastic trailer. And I just noticed, and I'll have to ask uh, Mark Gordon when he comes on, uh, that one doctor was a Dr. Cher. And I'm wondering if he's related to the director of that movie, which is Jerry Cher. If you guys are interested in finding out more about that movie, check out my interview with her. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere on here. Uh, maybe we'll get to it in a minute. I think it was episode 50 or something like that. But when we find it, we'll we'll tell you about it. So thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I feel like this is probably one of the more important interviews I've ever conducted over the last five years. And I'll tell you why. I want to ask the listeners to really pay attention and consider what we're talking about here. The Reverend Warriors are dedicated to mental health and mental well-being. And the information shared here literally has the potential to change a life, maybe even save a life. So if you're struggling with the symptoms of PTS, TBI, chronic pain, headaches, fatigue, I mean, the list is a mile long. This doesn't have to be your default. This doesn't have to be, you know, where you reside at this point in time. Today's topic 
is how to recognize and successfully treat PTS and TBI. And we'll talk about the similarities uh, between the two and this new term of, uh, at least I would call it a new term of, of neuroinflammation. We have, uh, let's see, Dr. Mark Gordon coming on. Dr. Gordon graduated first in his med school class and then became a board-certified family medicine practitioner, a man of my own heart, uh, as I am a, a family medicine PA. Uh, he then went on to expand his practice into sports medicine, clinical orthopedics, cosmetic dermatology, and then interventional endocrinology. Lots of big words for my marine friends, but don't worry, we'll get through this. And just for fun, he obtained his pharmacist license in the state of California. He's a strong advocate for integrative medicine and preventative medicine uh, through the correction of underlying hormonal deficiencies. And of course, we'll explain more what that means. We also are lucky to have Andrew Marr. Andrew is a husband, father, Retired Special Forces Green Beret, co-founder of the Warrior Angels Foundation, TEDx speaker. These guys have a really big resume, if you haven't noticed. Uh, Best-selling author of Tales of the Blast Factory, a brain-injured Special Forces Green Beret's journey back from the brink. His book has been turned into that movie that we just saw, uh, Quiet Explosions, uh, directed by Jerry Sher. Oh, here it is. Um, if you want to get into a deep dive on Andrew, you can check out episode 27. And Jerry Sher, the director of that movie, she's going to be on, or she was on episode 52. So without further ado, we'll bring on Dr. Gordon and we'll bring on Andrew Marr. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Andrew, it's good to see you again. Yeah, um, good to see you, brother. So I'll, I'll really quickly, just so you, you know the, the audience that you're speaking to, we're the Irreverent Warriors. The Irreverent Warriors are a group of combat veterans, actually, and non-combat veterans, mostly from GWAT, but we get some folks from Vietnam. Uh, we get a lot of folks from, from Desert Storm. And the idea is, at least our, our mission is, or you know, let's say our theory is that one of the big issues with mental health is isolation, you know, people kind of suffering by themselves and not wanting to get out there and seeing uh, or, or even just being in public. And what we do is we pull them out of isolation and we get into these um, silkies hikes. So uh, uh, Andrew might recognize it as uh, ranger panties. Uh, the Marines call them silkies. Uh, we put on those and we carry 22 uh, kilograms of gear and we go for 22 kilometers and we rock and we sweat and we suffer together, but we laugh. Uh, we bring the camaraderie back into the equation and uh, we're having a lot of good, every hike, I would say every hike we do, we start off with like last year, I think we had 35, this year we have 70. Every hike we do, we reach at least one person. I know we're saving a life for each one. So it's fantastic. I want to start off with this, a nice softball, because um, you guys both have multiple appearances on the Joe Rogan Experience, and you reach m millions of potential patients. That's how you reached me as a patient, actually. What is it like knowing that every time you speak publicly, especially in a, in a big platform like Joe's, that there's a very good chance that you're going to be saving a life? I mean, I would say it's guaranteed you're going to be saving a life when you, when you go on his show. I'll let either of you answer. Go ahead, Aaron. I mean, Andrew, sorry. Hmm. Uh, that's no softball question, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, I here's my answer. I do the best prior to to take a pause, to think about where I've been, and to think how grateful I am to experience right now, and to think how difficult that process was, and and then to give thanks for that, and then I think about how that is multiplied and magnified to the nth degree to our population and i just simply ask that uh that the light can shine through and i can you know uh, the truth can 
come out of my mouth and hopefully fall somewhere that somebody needs to hear it and they, and they can receive it, man. So, you know, that's probably how I go about it. Just being just grateful for the experience, grateful to deliver what we know is, you know, earth shattering information. And, um, and that's why me and Mark, basically anybody who wants to talk, will come on the platform and do it because we know it makes a difference. So it, it, it you know, I don't think we sit around and think about it, but at times, you know, usually like right before this, like I sit with it and like it, it, it's, um, it's rewarding, it's significant, it, uh, it makes my life worth living. Um, so it's, it's very impactful. Sure. I, I, I get very stressed out when we go into a heavy topic because I want to articulate it to the best of my ability. And I don't want to get ahead of myself or behind myself. And then afterwards I'm like, shit, I totally forgot this part. I totally forgot that part. So yeah, I feel you as far as, you know, something this important has to be articulated and uh, you need to speak to the audience and hopefully reach somebody. And that's, that's, that can be stressful. How about you, Dr. G? Well, to, to expand upon it, every time we go on to someone's platform, podcast, show, we know that we're gonna to touch a multitude of people that will have the ability to say, wait a second, you mean there's something more than just taking a handful of colored pills? There's something else we can do? And here's, you know, here's a special ops guy who has suffered through a lot. He talks about it to some degree on every one of the programs. And you start relating to, I mean, the people who are listening start relating to what he's saying and how many times you or a number of the other 400 plus uh, military individuals, both active and veterans have said, the reason why I'm calling you or the reason why I'm asking it into the program is because what Andrew said is exactly what I'm experiencing. I haven't told anyone, no one's ever asked me, you're telling me and I'm sharing with you. And that saves a life because a lot of times the guys who do go on to attempt suicide or commit suicide, it's because they didn't have any place to go they returned inside and they isolated as opposed to knowing that there is an organization like Warrior Angel Foundation that's out there, you know, putting their lives, our lives, everyone's life on the line to do something good. And the movie, you know, epitomizes everything that we've been able to do in the time that we've worked together. You're 100% you're correct on that. I remember must have been five or six years ago, Andrew. I, I don't know. Whenever your first appearance was on on Joe Rogan, I, I used to just listen to him working out or going to work or whatever. And I'm driving down the road and I hear your story and I'm like, holy shit, this guy is, is speaking my language. And here I am looking like you were saying, I'm looking at 10 different medications that I'm on, uh, feeling horrible, not feeling good and being like this, this guy. And so after that, I was like, I got to find out something. I got to find out more. And, uh, and then I headed down the, the rabbit hole, which by the way, changed how I became, or how I was practicing medicine at the time. You know, I learned that, you know, the, the, the standard protocol of treating the symptoms versus treating the underlying cause can be more of a problem than, <laughs> than it actually fixes. Well, it. Hey, Sully, I can remember you texting me, uh, several years back and you were like, Hey man, like, this guy's going to put me on vitamins, question mark. <laughs> I, I have that. I have that in my notes. <laughs> that was a great exchange. But, but you were, uh, you know, I challenged you to, to keep an open mind and, and um, you know, look at X, Y, and Z. And, yeah. you know, to your credit, you did. And uh, those those outcomes are, you know, now established. But, you know, it, yeah, it, it's, it's insane. Um, 
sometimes when you think about, hey, I just all this world of problems, it's like we can't see the forest for the trees because it's right in front of us. The right. solutions, alternatives right in front of us. And oftentimes, as Mark has proven, we can go a natural route to do it. And that is the preferred way the body is meant to work. Sure. Correct. Yeah. Another thing is, you know, everybody calls them vitamin supplements. They're nutraceuticals, which means they're natural forms of medications. If you look at what we use in our treatment protocol, 80 to 90 percent of it is are these nutraceuticals. You'll see that 99 percent of them are by prescription only outside the United States, only dispensable through physicians and or pharmacies. Right. So when you look at the uh, the relevancy around the planet. These are real medications. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what <laughs> uh, Andrew is being kind there, but it was more like a, uh, we'll say a special forces NCO speaking to a junior grade officer. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of like, get your head out of your ass, dude. <laughs> you yeah. asked for help. Believe in this system. Just give it yeah. a try. And I think you told me, you're like, give it six months and see what happens. And then within the amazing thing was with, a daily headaches for me was just, that was standard, right? right? So I didn't even, I was just like, that's who I am. And I, I constantly, you know, I had one of those massagers in the back of my head, living on ibuprofen. And then what I noticed, the that's probably the first thing that just stood out for me is that I thought I, I haven't had a headache in like two months. And then another month went by. And then after, gosh, I've almost been on this program for a year. I can say I've had three headaches over the last 12 months. That's unbelievable to me. Yeah. I mean, that was a daily occurrence. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, man, that, that's life changing. And, I, and I, I can remember being in that situation when you're living like uh, living with that or living with daily migraines. And you're thinking, man, if I can turn this down from a 10 to a five, yeah. I would just be thankful for the rest of my life. You know, yeah. it's huge. Yeah, yeah. You can't quantify that. It's amazing. Right. And those migraines are indicative of this neuroinflammation that I know we're going to be talking about, sure. which is really the foundation for insomnia, migraines, pain syndromes where narcotics don't work. And it's addressing the, the nutraceuticals basically address this inflammatory, you know, condition that is an effect of whatever the primary insult was, whatever the primary uh, head trauma was, it secondary phases all this inflammation, sure. depression, anxiety, bipolar, obsessive compulsion, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, MS, they're all inflammatory conditions. And the newest one that we're working on is ringing in the ears or tinnitus or tinnitus, mm -hmm. where I had a doc, non-military uh, doc uh, here in California, call me and ask me about, is there anything we can do for this horrible ringing in his ears? And I said, yeah, go on product so-and-so twice a day. And he called me in two weeks. He said, it's gone during the day. He's got a little bit during the night. So we're waiting to see after a month. So our new focus is this ringing in the ears, which is an inflammatory symptom, inflammation of the auditory nerve of the nerves or the little bones in the ossicles in the uh, middle ear or in the central. So we're, you know, we're expanding. We've reversed 18 diabetics. It wasn't the goal. Reversed yeah. 18 diabetics. We have uh, uh, someone who was med boarded from the uh, seals who had, uh, was, medically discharged because he had the audacity to develop um, multiple sclerosis. In 30 days, he was 40% better. In 60 days, he was 50% better. Gosh. So it's all inflammatory illnesses. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how you say that because 
when I was going through my workup, that was one of the things they were telling me. They're like, oh, this is MS. This looks like classic MS. And then they couldn't diagnose it and everything. And, it, and it's that kind of piggybacks on my next question. We know it as TBI, PTSD, <laughs> CTE, but that terminology is evolving, right? Uh, the more we learn about this, what is the proper name for this condition? You've already said it, but I'll just bring it up anyway. Neuroinflammation. Right. That's it. The, the problem I have is we tend in medicine, I'm talking about all forms of medicine, we tend to like to use labels as a means of expressing something that we don't fully understand at the foundational level, at the causative level. And as we start learning about the causation, as opposed to just how to best best mask the presentation, uh, then we'll find that the terminology or the labeling disappears and we're left with a physiological process. Neuroinflammation is a physiological biochemical process. What is depression? The psychiatrist can't even say explain yeah. what it is. They can tell you symptoms that are associated with it. But, you know, I told you, I, I have a very tough time believing in the packaging of what they call PTSD, because if you look at the overlapping between the symptomatology of PTSD and TBI, there are more of the issues that fall into TBI. And I believe that the uh, occurrence of PTSD is the continuum from a missed traumatic brain injury. Sure. Yeah, and that's that's funny how you say that. My next question is, you've had said uh, in the past, every diagnosis of PTSD is a missed opportunity to treat TBI and neuroinflammation. When I first heard that as a, as a provider and someone who was diagnosed with PTSD, I was like, what's this guy talking about? They're two different things. Did you get hit in the head or did you see something traumatic that you can't escape? Uh, but they're one and the same. Yeah, it's like you have a pinhole in your tire. Someone says you got a leak in your tire. Well, it's a leak in the tire until what? Until it's flat. Mm -hmm. So the leak is the TBI that progresses on to the flat tire because you missed the opportunity to fix the tire when it was still full of air. Sure. You know, I, so a lot of analogies, but uh, yeah. the, the, the continuum is there. Sure. Are, are they ever mutually exclusive? Do you ever uh, look at someone and say, yeah, this is PTSD, this yeah. is TBI? We're refuting it right now. Um, the psychiatry, the world of psychiatry, you know, says, okay, you have a person who has never had any physical contact, who's never shot a uh, Gustav, you know, rocket off or a javelin, has had no blast trauma, no slip and falls. They had a perfect delivery. They never roller skated and fell. They never learned how to bicycle ride and fell. They never learned how to walk and fell and they were perfect, but they're under <laughs> chronic stress in an environment and they develop all the symptomatology that we're gonna label as PTSD. How can you prove that is anything but PTSD? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out 20 years ago, a chemical was found. And eight years ago, it became into our area of neuroinflammation. I'll just throw it out there. It's called fractalkin. Well, under stress, this chemical allows the brain to develop inflammation just like you develop after any one of those traumas that you have. So the statement all, or the adage, all roads lead to Rome, there are many ways to turn on the system that gives the same neuroinflammation that will be perceived as being PTSD or TBI or MTBI. Sure. And so there's a chemical responsible. We're starting to see a spike in that uh, with post-COVID. 
You know, people have had COVID. Yes. We're starting to see depression, insomnia, you know, right. whatever. I wrote, it, I wrote about it in April in anticipation that we're going to see a spike, as you just said, in the occurrence of neurobehavioral, neuropsychiatric issues because of the cytokine storm. Uh, cytokines are exactly the chemicals that fractalkin allows to be made in the brain that leads to the change in the biochemistry of the brain such that the pathways, the biochemical control systems, the fly-by-wire to the different parts of the brain that control your depression, anxiety, bipolar, anger, uh, moodiness, you know, um, buying sprees, whatever, they're lost, the control me mechanisms. And we see it quite frequently in people with, um, part with Alzheimer's disease. They lose oh, yeah. the frontal lobes, which is the executive functions, which allows them to, you know, control how they respond to things or sequential um, activities. So, um, you know, there are other illnesses that show us when we lose certain chemistry in the brain, and that's what happens in blast trauma. It's an inflammation that disrupts the normal flow of chemistry. Sure. Yeah, and I want to jump in there, especially for our guys and gals listening in. You know, so what it what this translates to or what it equates is there's a number of mechanisms of injury that lead to potentially neuroinflammation or chronically, you know, a chronic state of neuroinflammation. But it doesn't just have to be a quote unquote injury. It could be a surgery, it could be environmental toxins, it could be a the wrong diet, it could be medications. It's like Mark said, living in a highly stressed um, state and environment all produce or have the ability to produce that same uh, consequence that is infl inflammation, neuroinflammation, which then leads to chronic neuroinflammation. So that's the point here is there's, there is a number of ways that can lead to that. And we want to call, you know, we as, uh, as people, we want to hold on to, this is my depression, this is my anxiety, this is my post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is really uh, allowing somebody to really step above that and saying, no, no, that doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It's something that I ex am experiencing and I'm experiencing it because it is an effect of a cause. Mm -hmm. So therefore we need to identify what is that cause and eliminate that and then treat the brain and the body in the way that Mark uh, is, <laughs> is way more qualified to talk on than I am. But, but that would bring it home uh, you know, for you guys out there listening. Like, hey man, all these different things out there that we do can lead to this. And then you don't have to be knocked out in a huge explosion in a coma for that process to happen. It can happen just as a natural byproduct of you know, being in the military and uh, jumping repetitively, just doing uh, repeatedly firearms training, all these types of things, uh, chronic exposure to low-level blasts. Well, there, that is a uh, cumulative effect that is very consequential in the long run. And so these are all the ways that can contribute to us losing resiliency, which contributes to that neuroinflammation. Mark, correct me where I messed no. up. <laughs> hey, you've listened to my rhetoric for over five years and you've got it down, okay? And you translate it very well. So I'm gonna stop speaking Russian and you can keep the English going. Well, it's, it's very important to break out of that, um, I don't even wanna call it, that paradigm that we've been taught is, is the way things are for the last 20 years. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways from your film, Quiet Explosions, is the, I don't remember her name, Annie, Anne, the Annie, uh, yeah. uh, naval cadet who was sexually assaulted, who, who developed 
all the the symptoms of neuroinflammation the the 911 firefighter when i was watching his story i was waiting for the and then a beam hit me on the head or something like that but i i don't think he was in the towers right he was just affected because he lost his Correct. his crew yeah no no i mean i, I uh, he wasn't actually in the towers but he was at ground zero on, on that day but yeah and and those guys were exposed to a tremendous amount of environmental toxins that yeah wasn't even accounted for early on and the government said that it wasn't even a, a, an issue until years later i don't even know if they're still uh owning up to it but but just setting straight uh, record straight there for sully but yeah absolutely and and hey, Sully, you, you bring up a good point because you know what man people uh came to us and they said hey you need to remove annie's uh story uh, for a variety of reasons uh the decision was made to leave it in there because uh, it wasn't right to take it out. But now so many people have reached out and they said, hey, I had no idea that something like that could lead to the same symptoms as this. Yeah. And so many people who have now been in the same situation have reached out and said, hey, I now know that what, what's been the cause of all this, you know, because of Annie's story. So that's how why important that was. You didn't have to have this physical beating over the head to produce these symptoms as, as shown clearly in the film. So that, that's one of the things that I think is really just uh, uh, earth shattering, you know, groundbreaking as far as the film coming out and bringing out these things because Jared did such a masterful way where you can just sit there and watch and, and grasp these very advanced neurological concepts and just the most, routine way that's very entertaining and that's why the movie's taken off and doing so well yeah and he uh, epitomizes that chemical fractalkin that chemical that created her inflammation as though she had physically been a i mean he, she was physically abused but to be you know hammered with the uh, blast waves or with uh, physical uh, contact to the head and that's what the chemical does and until they recognize it, they'll continue perceiving that it's, uh, you know, she just wanted to be depressed. Does the blood work that you take uh, now, if, if anyone ends up uh, being treated by Dr. Gordon, they take a few pints of blood. You spend no, like 10 minutes there. They're just pulling it. <laughs> pulling it. Uh, but is there... I, I guess in my head, how I look at it is you're looking for a fingerprint. You're looking for... Um, like, if someone says... And this is what I was feeling, right? Because remember, I was hammered with, you have PTSD, you have PTSD. And I got to the point where, okay, I have PTSD. And then, of course, all the side effects of that, right? Oh, I'm less than a person. I'm not a warrior. Uh, right. I can't fly airplanes. I feel like shit. I hate myself. And you go through that whole thing, right? Just because that's what they're telling you that you have. Uh, I was worried that I would go through yours because I, I finally had something I could hang my hat on. I was like, wait a minute. Um, and, and if... You know, I've read through my medical uh, um, charts and it's like, yeah, uh, Flyer had sustained uh, or unconsciousness during sustained combat flight was, uh, you know, uh, retrograde, anterograde, amnesia, all that stuff's in there. But it was still, no, 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 this is just PTSD. And I don't want to say just, but it's PTSD. So I was worried that being a patient of yours, you were going to look at my blood work and be like, yeah, there's nothing here. It's all mental for you. And and I was, I, I mean, I can tell you, I was like, God, and, and this sounds awful. I don't want to... Uh, but I guess you have to think of the state of the mind. I was thinking, I hope he finds something because to me, at least, like I said, I could hang my head on it and maybe get treated and maybe feel better. Cause I felt like shit for what they what, were doing with me. What's the objective parameters that a psychiatrist uses? I don't even know. <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. And we introduced 30 points of objectivity along with a great 
series of almost 3,000 people uh, to see patterns. One of the gifts I have is pattern recognition. The first pattern I recognize is when you're low normal, still in the normal range of a lot of these hormones that the VA docs and traditional docs say, well, you're just within the goalposts. I mean, the kicker, you know, on the Super Bowl, the kicker doesn't want to kick and hit the post. He wants it right in the middle. It shows his skill and the quality of what he has. Right. And our bodies have that same thing. You can be, you know, a hypothetical range of 10 to 90. You can be at 11 with all the symptoms. And the doctor says, oh, you're within the normal range, but that's only by one point. We want it to be dab in the middle to give you the optimal benefits still within the physiological ranges. And that's where we've been so successful is not using this just within the range. It has to be at least in the middle and sometimes higher to get the benefit. And the parameters that we look at are um, biomarkers, which are the neurosteroids. Neurosteroids are the unique hormones that are produced in the brain that regulate functionality. And if they're deficient, meaning that they're not in the optimal range, but in the lower of normal, you get symptoms. We know that because when we bring it back up to this normal range, optimal range, you get better. Huh, Sully? You get better. <laughs> you really do. Uh, sleep. I used to, my bed, I mean, it might as well have been a bed of nails. I would look at it and be like, God damn it, I got to go to bed, right? I would stay mm -hmm. up as late as I could mm -hmm. to avoid that. Now I'm going to bed at like 8 8 p.m. because it's 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 restful. It's something I look forward to. I didn't think that was even possible. I didn't mm. even think that was possible. Mm. Um, you you had mentioned something, and I think it just lost. I just lost it in my train of thought here. But um, we'll we'll move on. I have a, another uh, question here. Knowledge of TBI, PTSD, whatever we'll call it. All right, <laughs> for the for the episode, we'll call it neuroinflammation. Um, it's been gaining traction over the last 10 years or so, maybe even 15 years or so. Uh, we've talked about it, or I rarely talked about it as a kid. I mean, you know, wrestling, you got, you got hit in the head or whatever. It was get up, you know, rub some dirt in it and, and move on. Uh, and then we had things like Will Smith had a movie about this topic. I, I don't even remember the name. Concussion. Of Concussion, yeah. So he had one. Uh, there was a ton of high-profile deaths like Robin Williams where they, during his autopsy, they saw, I think it was Lewy body dementia, mm -hmm. uh, which is an inflammatory condition. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have the WWE suicides. You have the NFL suicides. Junior Seau, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. Mm -hmm. I was shocked when that guy uh, killed himself. I mean, he seemed to be at the top of, of the world, yeah. right? Um, the list goes on. I can only assume as a practitioner that, uh, again, we'll just say TBI, becoming part of the daily lexicon helps you, right? Helps you to bring this up in conversation when someone comes in and says, I suffer from migraines. Okay. What do you mean by that? Okay. You suffer from migraines, but what's the root cause of that? Does it help? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we have, as you remember, a quite extensive uh, intake form that goes through uh, hundreds of questions relative to uh, symptoms that you might have, because what we're finding is things like uh, migraines and insomnia and twitches and um, sensitivity to light and sound, they all have a uh, an inflammation, inflammatory component to it, which causes sensitivity. It's like if you've ever been drunk and you wake up the next morning and you're light sensitive, sound sensitive, you're just irritable, you're yelling at people because you don't feel well. That's the brain on fire and that's the neuroinflammation. So we ask people who come in with migraine as their presenting complaint, we ask an extensive history of from birth on. 
because a lot of times they miss it because they think it's irrelevant. They think that it's not significant enough. It's like the big battle that uh, Andrew and I had when we were guests of the Ministry of Defense in London is that they thought that the only way that you can develop traumatic brain injury or PTSD is if you were knocked unconscious. And that's not the truth. And even in neuroradiology, the x-rays, the radiological studies that are done in people who are knocked unconscious, in 85% of the people who are knocked unconscious, the classical radiological technology of CT and MRI are negative. There's nothing seen, but they go on to develop all the symptomatology, migraines, uh, insomnia, mood disorders, you know, panic and what have you. And it's all because this inflammation that, as Andrew already stated, can be uh, an accumulative effect. It's like the analogy I use is either you can have 10 dimes or $1. They both are 100. But one happens after small little bites, and the other one happens with one major incident or event. So it, it's, it all leads up to it, as well as there are two major articles that came out showing that people who had an injury 17 years ago can start having symptoms now that they find the markers, the inflammatory markers present right now. Wow. So it can take 17 years if it's yeah. a mild process with a lot of mild events occurring throughout the course of life. I mean, you think about all the, the elderly patients who lived full lives and then suddenly and it's almost overnight happened both my grandparents they're gone right they over several months they they uh, go into a state of dementia and they're unrecognizable and it's it's mm -hmm. yeah i mean it can take a while um it, you just it, it something there just uh, rekindled what i was thinking so how come evolution hasn't taken care of this or did we find a way to to kind of shortcut evolution and and keep messing things up andrew stated it biological resiliency what biological resiliency is, you guys go out in the field of battle and you put some Kevlar on your vest, and that gives you protection. Well, you can either put one plate, two plates, three plates, how many plates you want to protect your body. Well, we do that. We build it by good nutrition, good hydration, meditation, by dropping the chemistry that causes the problems and embellishing the chemistry that improves us, like fish oil omega-3s, like vitamin E, like N-acetylcysteine, good amino acids, minimizing alcohol, which strips the Kevlar away by diminishing the brain's production of growth hormone, which has an incredible protection against not only inflammation in the brain, but also to reverse or treat people with treatment-resistant depression, people who are on a multitude of medications and their depression continues. Turns out there are five hormones that regulate that. And the one that a 2017 article came out of all places from England, and they had tough time understanding how growth hormone is important to anyone with traumatic brain injury. But this article clearly stated in 61% of the people who had treatment resistant depression, they had a growth hormone deficiency. And within one to two months, treatment with growth hormone disappeared and they ended up sleeping better, uh, brighter minds, uh, less irritability and therefore less flying off the handle and better communicative skills. And these are the benefits of when you drop inflammation in the brain. And that's one of the things that growth hormone does. Right. So it's, it's important. And, and I'll ask Andrew about this. It's important too, that 
uh, especially if you have a family and, and even friends, if you're close with friends and stuff, uh, the best advocate for you is usually the people you're living with. Uh, my wife tells people, holy cow, you should see the change in Kevin. I, I, I mean, I do feel the change, but not as dramatic as she apparently sees in me. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Andrew, you were the, the tip of the spear, right? You were what a lot of guys in the army want to attain to. I mean, they make movies out of the green berets. What was your first, uh, I guess, I don't want to say symptom, uh, your first indication that something was amiss, something wasn't firing right. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was pretty easy, uh, the complete loss of libido. And so I got back from my last deployment, um, 2013 and, uh, I'm very attracted to my wife, you know, still, and <laughs> you have seven kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're maybe too attractive, you know, <laughs> and it just, it just wasn't there. And that just struck me as, as very odd because it was, um, something that, that was new, wasn't, uh, you know, a pattern in my timeline. Uh, so I just thought, Hey man, we, we were pushing really hard on that last trip. It's going to take some time for, I guess my body to come back online. But as I look back, you know, it never came back online. And that was kind of the first, uh, pattern disruptor that I saw, oh man, this is, this is weird. And then it went into, you know, sleep, uh, being thrown off and being tired and then opening up Pandora's box. But those were like the first three that came on very mildly and then expanded outward. Were you afraid to bring that stuff up to your, I don't we had flight docs in our squadrons, but I assume you guys had a doctor associated with your, your, uh, unit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you don't want to bring anything up until you're certain that it's an issue, you know, right? Um, certainly in our community, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just like, hey, I, I, this, it, I can continue doing what I need to do, but there's some issues here. So for me, it was like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, I seem to be up doing everything else all right. I don't have, I'm not missing a limb. I'm not missing an eye. So uh, what am I going to complain about? Everybody else is having problems too. I guarantee it. Um, so, you know, I didn't feel a sense of urgency to go and talk about it, um, you know, initially. And it didn't get till my life had just spiraled out of control. And I realized like, oh, I can't go on like this anymore. You know, I'm a, I'm a hazard to myself. I'm a hazard to my family. I'm a hazard to my teammates. You know, at that point, it was like, I I need some help. And it wasn't until the train had come off the tracks until I started to put my hand up and speak. I think the the personal experiences are important because of, you know, our audience being you know, mainly Marines and guys who fired a lot of uh, uh, rounds downrange. Um, let's go back to the moment of change for you, right? Uh, because a lot of people find themselves at that precipice. Like, okay, is this rock bottom? Is this when I need to make a change? Describe the moment when enough was enough for you and you made the decision to, to heal and get better. Yeah, I mean, there was a, a number of things that kind of led up to, you know, my famous moment, moment of clarity. Uh, I can remember uh, being at NICO uh, the, at uh, Walter Reed, and we're getting all these results back, and I was just having a very hard time. You know, they're you know, like, hey, this guy's got a, you know, neurological deficit and uh, can no longer, you know, be able to, work things out cognitively anymore you know it was just it was shocking to get to get these results back and you know i remember calling just complaining to my mom you know and uh, i'm from texas and you know my mom's born and raised in texas so i'm giving her this sad story and you know she was like hey what did you expect 
You know what I mean? So like, what are we going to do about it uh, is what you need to start thinking about. Because I had gotten to a point where, you know, hey, I'm going to have to be medically retired. I'm never going to be able to do the things that I thought I was put here to do. Um, I, I'm not able to think clearly anymore. I'm not able to uh, be in social situations and act appropriately and respond appropriately to certain kind of um just regular everyday interaction. And so it continued to just get worse and worse and medication made, made things worse and drinking made things worse. And, you know, uh, things come in threes, right? And so my son was uh, 13 months old and he had this life and death situation and uh, he had this massive uh, growth um, removed from his neck in surgery. And I was sitting there with him at in his ICU after the uh, surgery and right there next to his bedside, and I, I just realized that if I continued on that same path that I was on, that sure enough, man, it would kill me. Um, but, but, but worse than that, when I looked down at my boy and just watching him suffer and realizing in that moment that I was of no value to him or my family in the condition that, that I was in. And that was just a, a knockout blow. And for me at that point, like I just made this immutable decision that I didn't care what anybody said anymore. It just meant, meant nothing to me. I promised my boy and myself three things right there at his bedside. Number one, I would return to the man in my pre-injury status. Number two, I was going to find a way to come off all that medication that I was told I was going to have to be on for the rest of my life. And after those two were accomplished... I was going to turn around and spend the rest of my life helping out other people who were in the exact same position that I was in. So that was the, the moment of truth for me that put me in a new timeline. Because at that point, I started asking myself different questions. Instead of focusing on what I didn't want to happen, I got laser focused on what I did want to happen. And I realized what the underlying reason, my personal why for existing was behind that. And for me, it had everything to do with being the man that my family needed me to be. I knew I wasn't going to be a Green Beret anymore. I wasn't going to be an operator anymore. But I was still a husband and I was still a father. And I was going to go back at there on the battlefield of life and give it my all just the way I used to when I was running and gunning. And uh, Sully, that was enough for me to push me over there. And, um, you know, you start asking yourselves, hey, man, if I was going to be the best version of myself, what would I do? What would a morning look like? What would, what, how would I use my time? How would I, what would I put in my body? How would I respond to people? You know what I mean? Where would I go looking when I was told there's no more answers? When you know there is answers out there and asking myself my personal, personally better questions made me look for better answers, which equated to meeting Mark, which means a much higher quality of life now than where I was in 2013, 14 and 15. Sure. Dr. Gordon, what, so, and this is coming from a provider talking to another provider. Understood. How do you how do you get that spark that Andrew discovered in himself? You know, I I did a lot of. I mean, I've been trained through integrative medicine at Duke University. Uh, what do we call it? There's a name for it, motivational interviewing, things like that. It is dealing with a heart attack is easier than having someone discover within themselves that spark of change by far. 
And, and yeah. I'm sure, yeah. How do yeah. you do that? How do you bring that out of people? I don't think it's something you can will upon yourself. I think it's a culmination of situations in life that brings you to the point that Andrew was at that caused him to have that epiphany, that realization that what he needed to do, as he just expressed, was being a positive influencer and not a negative uh, negative energy, someone more positive to take from the hurt from within. I became a physician because I lost my father to cancer. I was in research and it's, that was my one of my sparks, if you will. It wasn't anything else. And what led me to specifically this pathway was six head traumas on my own that led me into depression and being on anti and antidepressants and obese. And my escape was reading in the hall, you know, bedroom closed down, reading a book. And it led me to some facts that I went and looked and that opened me up to this area. And 90 days after starting, you know, I had my realization that there was an alternative to just taking some pills and continuing to be in a poor state of mind. But I think each one of us has the ability to find their own spark. And it's not looking for it as much as it finds you. And I think mine found me and I think Andrew had found him. And it's how to use it and apply it that's the key. I mean, I won't lie and say I don't have cases which are so negative that no matter what I do, they're not gonna get better. But I work harder on those. I put more energy into those people who are committed as you might have been committed to the mindset because you were told again and again and again your PTSD your PTSD and then you assume this illness mindset and there are articles in the psych world uh, talking about this where you accept this position and therefore nothing else works because you've already given up you've accepted what their paradigm they believe you should accept PTSD just get used to it. Andrew told me many times that when he went back to the VA and told him how difficult life had become in addition to what he had experienced when the medication was put on and the doctor says, carry a, a notepad with you, get used to the new you. He didn't, he didn't buy into that, but too many guys and gals buy into that. And in buying into that, we now have to bring him up from a pit that was developed or made by that thinking, that philosophy, which is so detrimental to the ability of one spirit to rise above and to have that epiphany to improve. And, and for some reason, dysfunction becomes an all too powerful force, right? Correct. I, I don't, I honestly don't know why that is. Um, but I see it all the time. I have conversations with people. I have chronic migraines, I have chronic back pain. I have chronic, but Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, personally, this worked for me. I, I never give a dietary advice to people because everybody's different genetics and all this stuff, but I went paleo and it made all the difference. So I'm like, Hey, have you ever thought about just cutting out the, um, the process stuff or, mm -hmm. or whatever? And it's always, it's always, well, I can't because if I don't eat uh, this, I get headaches and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you, it's frustrating because you are, uh, 
you're reinforcing these negative habits and then you drink because it helps you relax and what, whatever it is, whatever the dysfunction is. And you just get stuck and that becomes who you are. And it's like, you, you don't have to be that way. You really don't. You can be, you can be the guy and, and Andrew can, can uh, acknowledge this. You can be the guy that raised his hand at the age of 18 and said, I'm going to enlist or I'm going to be an officer or whatever it is. You can be that guy, even though it's 20 years later and you feel like shit, but it's, how do you reach that? I mean, that's, and, and that's the million dollar question. I mean, if you had the answer. <laughs> yeah. Be. I think, you know, not group counseling, but being in a group of positive people who have experienced what Andrew has experienced, having, you know, small groups where they listen to it. And that's why the movie becomes so important because, you know, when we, when, uh, Andrew and Jerry did the first uh, screening of it. There was full house. Not a single person left there with a dry eye. And my question to them was, was it sad movie? No, it was hopeful. It gave people the hope that there is an answer out there. And that's what the, uh, the mission, our goal is, is to get the information out there. And this tool, the movie, is doing a good job. And sure. as we disseminate it as the organization disseminates it and more people get to see it, what will happen is more people will have hope because right now there are too many people that are hopeless because they've been integrated into a system that says, oh, just get used to it. This is you. This is the new you. Yeah. And, and you know, to, to Mark's point, and uh, it's it's about planting the seed, you know, it's it's the individual's choice but we can plant the seed. And there's a phrase that, that Mark likes to say a lot that he embodies and, and I attempt to as well is like, hey, we wanna be the change. We're gonna be the change that we wanna see in the world. So let somebody see uh, an elevated per way of living that you embody. And they're gonna say, you know, my God, man, what, what are you doing differently? Because I, I know you were struggling down the road here. Uh, how, did you get, how did you get to here? And, and so that's why, you know, putting out this information, man, it's liberating. It has the true ability to be liberating because we're talking about an alternative, an alternative where people were told, you got one of two options. You got talk therapy over here, or you got this bowl of medications over here. That's all we got for you. And we're saying, well, those options still exist, but there's an alternative. And the alternative is based solely and uniquely on you on well-established science. And so that's the beauty of the situation. I don't think we can change people's minds, but we can deliver them the information in a compelling way that allows them to contemplate that. And then they can come and arrive at their own conclusions. What I'm just ecstatic about is now at least there's an opportunity to understand that there are alternatives that exist and they produce significant outcomes and they can be uh, attained by majority of, uh, by everyone and uh, that, like this information wasn't just easy to find in 2013 14 and 15 when i was looking for it even though mark had been in the field for a number of years and so now like we just have this body of work and it's just growing every day where people now can go and get a real functional understanding of what's causing this and what to do about it. So that's the exciting thing. You know, I don't know how, how do you fix anybody else? You don't fix me. I don't think you can, but you can just, you know, be the change and plant the seed. Dr. Gordon, when does the, uh, and, and I just thought of this question because uh, Andrew said the alternative treatments, when does the alternative 
become the standard of care that we're all bound to. You know, if I if I go outside the standard of care for something as simple as a sinus infection, I better write down why I did that. When when does that shift happen? Um, it's a good question. I've been working on this for 16 years, and it's still considered outside the box. But if you look at all the uh, changes that happened in medicine were done by institutes, people who went outside the box because the standards of care were not uh, providing the level of improvement that we need. So, you know, the way I've looked at it historically, it seems like there's a 30-year cycle. And that 30 years is usually the lifespan of a new physician. So when the old, uh, old uh, what do they call it, guard, the old guard is exchanged for the new guard, then the new guard brings in hopefully a higher level of understanding of what the old guard missed. You know, when you graduate from medical school or from PA school or from NP school or whatever school, DO, you're, you're left with a res residue of your training. And hopefully, if you're aggressive, you go and you get additional training. You know, you read off some of the areas that I went into uh, because I was curious about other areas. And now, you know, we treat people with orthopedic problems with some of our technology and they get better with some of their chronic pain syndromes. But 30 years seems to be the cycle. Um, how to diminish that time means by having more people responding like you, like Andrew, like myself and the other people that are on program and have them become a voice and a representation of what we're doing. And maybe through a groundswell to have uh, whatever, uh, what we're trying to do, not whatever, but what we're specifically trying to do become accepted faster. Yeah. And it's um, not like you don't have the, the data. I mean, you, you, um, if I remember on your last uh, Joe Rogan uh, uh, episode, you had mentioned that you had done a, a study with the 18 Deltas. I think they're 18 Deltas, right? The um, Special Forces Medics. Uh, oh, yeah, Camp uh, Campbell, uh, Fort Campbell, uh, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That they had in 90 days, um, in 90 days, they were 50 to 70% better, uh, not using any hormones, nothing, just our core treatment, which is 100% nutraceuticals. And uh, they did so well that they introduced me to their trauma uh, trauma doc from downrange, who happens to be a congressman. So he and I are in dialogue. So hopefully we'll get some, you know, some benefits or some input to help us. So we're now reaching out uh, and through Andrew's contacts. We're tentative on a program on the Hill to, to meet and share our information. We were in uh, England uh, with the Ministry of Health and the uh, Ministry of Defense and the uh, Military Surgeon General um, sharing our experience and what we've done because in England uh, they were old paradigm and they were having rising numbers in suicides instead of dropping numbers. So we've had a couple of their special forces uh, fly into the office here and uh, they're better. And when I was asked, you know, why are they coming in? I said, maybe they wanted to get better, you know, yeah. because the, as Andrew and I both learned, the National National Health Service in England has a lot to be desired. <laughs> what is the Army and the DOD? What are they saying? Um, I had the chance to talk with Fort Detrick, um, help of uh, one of the rear admirals that has been on our program for about eight years, got us into... Fort Dietrich, where I sent them my documents in advance, also sent them a preliminary look at the 
uh, application for a DOD grant. And we had a conference call with some major people there that ran it. And they were curious as to why I didn't have any medication, any drugs in our protocol. <laughs> They're most confused by the fact that they were confused. I might be a little strong, but they were didn't know how to understand how we got any benefits if we weren't using antidepressants or antipsychotics or anti-anxiety medications. You know, mm -hmm. so it never went anywhere. Uh, DOD, um, we've got people trying to help us to, to get there. We wrote a paper, Andrew and I presented a paper to the White House in 2018, which uh, ended up with the DOD, but it didn't go any place because it was so much of a paradigm shift. Yeah. But we tried to get them on the issue of um, retention and uh, attrition. You know, the amount of money that is spent on special forces for um, for training and so forth, as you know, Andrew will tell you and all you guys in special forces, the government spends a lot of money. And to have uh, one blast trauma or accumulation of small blasts, uh, sub-concussive blasts, lead to your loss of your career with the military and the loss of the financing. I mean, if we can show them, which is what we're doing, that we can maintain yeah. the activities without loss of cognitive functions, that's a financial benefit. And yeah, we're sitting them on finance. They speak their language. Quality yeah. of health may be not important to them, but saving them money, maybe that yeah. is. Yeah, that's that's we very tried it, right, Andrew? <laughs> what about the, the uh, what is it? The uh, Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. Oh, CBL, yeah. Yeah, CBO, $16,000 a year for each vet. And oh. when we were with 43 with President Bush, we talked to him about, we can take that 16000 and and use it for three years. Wow. That 16000 right. are paying a year. We can yeah. take it and use it for three years and get people back up and running. I mean- we're looking at our average time right now, and 78% of our people uh, were 50% or better in a year. And in that group were 16 Vietnam veterans. Our oldest is 84, Ben in Ohio, or in uh, Oklahoma. And then uh, Jerry here in uh, Las Vegas. I flew out to have lunch with him because at 71 years of age, he was 100% better, according to his wife, Susan, um, you know, the man I married prior to going to Vietnam and having a blast trauma. That's unreal. We've got 16 people. Yeah. Hey, hey, going back to the Congressional Budget Office, how hilarious is that that the government has something called the Congressional Budget Office? That, that, that cracks me up. Yeah, we the trillion in debt at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, um, it's more than that. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I now know that they, they don't care whatsoever about anything attributed to cost. Um, it, it has to benefit their, their bottom line in a different way. But uh, diverting. Um, Mark and I will continue to fight this fight. Well, we made that decision. We're going to fight. I think that will be, if it ever changes, the government will be the last thing to ever institute it. I think there is zero incentive for them to do that. I think they have the exact program in there that they want to. I arrived at that conclusion by being in the trenches with Mark the last five plus years and the, the data supports it. Otherwise, like why on earth would you not institute something as simple as making sure an individual can have access to nutraceuticals that could keep their brain in a neuropermissive environment, which means, oh, it stops the chronic inflammation from ever being a thing. And we can do that very easily. Our friend Michael Lewis was one of the uh, DOD's top 
uh, brain injury prevention and treatment docs. Um, Army West Point retired as a colonel. He's talking to the Army Chief of Staff. They're ready to hear all about fish oil. And then out of nowhere, he wrote about this in his book, uh, When Brains Collide, he gets the kibosh. Oh, man, we can't put soldiers on that level of uh, that amount of fish oil. It be <laughs> toxic. He's like, we're talking about nutrition. Yeah. And you guys are, where are they deficient? You put them on an SSRI. What test is showing that they are deficient in serotonin? Right. <laughs> right. Zero. So I, I don't I don't foresee any changes happening. So here's the takeaway, guys and gals listening. You got to take your health into your own hands. You got to take responsibility for yourself. It's not the government's job to keep you healthy, happy, and going out and pursuing you know life, liberty, and, and all the freedoms that that the Constitution allotted us. What you have to do is you have to go out there and take it. And if you have to spend your own money, well, then that's what you have to do. And if you have to figure out how to go work with a nonprofit to go get the get your help, then you got to figure out how to do that. But there's ways to do those things. You got to take, you got to be the captain of your own ship. The government's not going to come in. The cavalry's not coming in. You got to go out there and you got to figure out what do I got to do? How do I got to start asking myself better questions to make better choices to produce the outcomes that I want to make? So, you know, yes, we have projects going with with different uh, government entities and, and different military units and, and this, that and the other. And we've been producing good results for a long time with those communities. Why has it been instituted? I don't think I think because they don't want to institute it. So therefore, man, take this information, go out and find the things that are discussed here. See how you can apply it to your own life. That's where you'll start finding the benefit. Listen, listen to that special forces NCO come out. That's fantastic. <laughs> Pep talk guys. I've kept you on for an hour. Um, I want to end it with this. Um, so someone hears this, right? Someone just hears your little pep talk and they say, I'm going to reach out to Andrew, right? They go over to uh, warriorangelsfoundation.org. Um, there's also waftbi.org that takes you over there and they send you an email. Hey, uh, where do I start? What, what can I do? Yeah. Uh, the great thing is, is we have a team over there ready to receive you. Um, so go out to our website. There's a wealth of information there. You want to talk to somebody directly. Somebody will be there to tell you uh, how the program works, how you can get involved uh, and everything in between. So bottom line is WAFTBI is a short uh, address, WAFTBI.org for our website. You want to get in touch. You want more information uh, that can that's made available on the website. Super easy. Mark's website is tbihelpnow.org and has a wealth of information. I mean, an incredible amount of information on his website as well. So those are the two best ways, uh, Sully. Awesome. Guys, I, I really, really appreciate it. I know time is money. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can uh, save a life. I mean, that's the whole point. One person hears this and reaches out to, to either of you and, and ends up feeling better because it's, it's you know, it, we always talk about saving lives, but we also talk about the quality of life. I had a, a friend, he's an orthopedic surgeon, and uh, I, I'm always rolling my eyes when he eats a, I hope he doesn't watch this. He's eating a big plate of pasta and I'm eating, you know, I don't know, uh, elk backstrap and some vegetables. <laughs> And, uh, and he's like, he's like, wouldn't you just rather eat this and maybe live a couple years shorter? <laughs> I said, I said, it's not about that. It's about how I feel. Right. And that yes. tastes good, but that will never taste better than me going to bed or being a father or being whatever, being present in my daily, daily operations. So I don't Absolutely. know. That, well yeah. said. So, so thanks gentlemen for coming on. I really, I mean, you have no idea how much I appreciate this. The Reverend Warriors appreciate it. And, um, you know, you're always hearing from me. You'll hear from me again soon. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs>
I'm always, I, I always tell people it's a sign of uh, uh, how much I enjoy speaking with you when you start getting texts from me or emails or whatever. But, um, but yeah, no, thank you very much. And, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it was an honor. Now, if I can figure out, without Jeremy here, if I can figure out how to end the broadcast. I set the play.